Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Happy New Year. 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 But I, I do want to give you something today, this year, every Sunday for as many years as I get to be here. I want to give you Jesus. Um, I want to lead you to Jesus. I want to invite you into fellowship with Jesus. And if there is a way by any means possible to increase your appetite and longing for Christ himself, I want to do that. I want to be a part of that in any way that I can. If I can, by any means possible, increase your satisfaction in Jesus, I want to do that. And to that end, uh, for the next few weeks, next five Sundays, I'll be teaching on communion. And this will bring us back into our series in 1 Corinthians eventually, our verse-by-verse study through Corinthians that we left off in, uh, in August. Um, so let's go ahead and read 1 Corinthians 10, 16. Um, and then, let me turn there as well. And then we'll turn the page over and read 1 Corinthians 11, 27 through 30. And these will be passages we'll be coming back to in the next few weeks. 1 Corinthians 10, 16 says, The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ, the bread which we break, Is it not the communion of the body of Christ? Now turn over to 1 Corinthians 11, 27, starting verse 27. It says, Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner, eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. Now, around New Year's, many of us are hoping for some sort of clarity of vision. Uh, Whether or not you make resolutions, there's still kind of an atmosphere of reflection at the end of one year, the beginning of another. And there is a time for taking stock. Uh, So around this time of year, more than at other times, many ask me if I have vision for the church. Um, A lot of this, after coming back from sabbatical, I got to go, what's what's the vision for the church? I'll tell you the vision. It's tunnel. Tunnel is the vision, okay? Uh, I make a point of singing, Be Thou My Vision, around the new year and throughout all 12 months of it. Um, The vision is Christ. It must be Christ. The hope is Christ and nothing less. All other ground is sinking sand. Our goal and our destination is Christ. It's union with Christ. It's fellowship with Jesus. The purpose of my ministry, and I would suggest it's probably the purpose of your ministry, is to go to Christ and bring people with you. Uh, One of the specific purposes of my ministry is to present Christ to you in the preaching of the word and in the sacraments. And our one big purpose of meeting together like this once a week or more frequently is to meet with Christ. Actually, let's broaden that scope a bit, because I think that's a little too narrow. 
our one big purpose in this life and the next is to meet with Christ and be united with him. And, and here's some really good news that I hope you can hold on to. He is willing to meet with you. He is willing to be found by those who seek him. He is willing to become one with his people. I think you can agree there are different ways in which Christ meets with people. Uh, he, he likes variety. Um, Christ, who is the incarnate word, meets us in the written word of God. Is something I'm sure each one of you has experienced. God meets with us in the scriptures, doesn't he? He speaks to us in the scriptures. And we love that. We make much of that. But that's not the only way we meet him, is it? Uh, the church is called the body of Christ. And certainly Jesus meets us through other people, through the kindness of his people. We meet with Christ when we serve the least of these. He said, you did it to me. We are served by Christ when we are the least of these is ministered to us by the generosity and kindness of other people. Uh, fellowship is a way in which Christ meets with us. And it's very, very different from the way the Scripture speaks to us, isn't it? Uh, and I'll bet you probably prefer one of these types of meeting over the other. One comes more naturally to you. But you need both. You need the Word of God in your life, and you need the people of God in your life. Because you need God in your life. I said that Christ meets with you and meets with us in different ways. And I will add that the different ways are not interchangeable. In, in other words, you can read the Bible. You can read the Bible by yourself in your prayer closet for days on end. And I don't doubt that the Lord will meet you there. He will. I'm confident of that. He will speak to you in his word and you will hear his voice. But he will not meet you there by yourself in the ways that he meets with you through the body of Christ. Okay, they're not interchangeable. Turn it around. You may very well meet with Christ through fellowship. Many of, uh, of you have this as the first encounter with Christ. And your testimony, testimony, your story of how you came to Christ might begin with another person, right? And, and you know, uh, you might see peace in a believer, receive kindness from a believer, and hear the gospel from another believer. This does not make the written word of God or the preached word of God any less important. The scripture cannot be replaced by anything else. You can't say, well, God speaks to me in this way. Therefore, I get to avoid meeting him in these other ways that he has ordained. I can skip all the other appointments because I made the one. The prayer, of course. Prayer is another way we meet with Christ. When he said, I am with you always, he really meant it. And the implication is that you can check in with him anytime. He'll be right there willing to listen. And even in, in that, there's a variety of personal prayer and corporate prayer. There's the two-second prayer, oh, God, help. And there's the deep prayer and fasting that can, that can last a lifetime. Hopefully not fasting for a lifetime. I guess that would be my Deep times of prayer. It's very different. It's different than other certain kinds of prayer. But, but anyone who has settled into the, this discipline of fervent and effective prayer knows that Christ meets us there. He meets you in those times of prayer. When, with, when you're speaking words and when you're out of words, he meets us in those times. And meeting with him in prayer is very different than seeing his hand at work through another member of the body of Christ. And both of these can be very different than meeting him in Bible study or, or listening to a sermon. And I'll repeat, they are not interchangeable. It's not a buffet where you just get to pick your favorites and say, I think I'll listen to a sermon, but I'm not going to pray. Who has the time? Or, I'll, I'll pray, 
And I'll hang out with other Christians now and then, but I just don't have to read my Bible because I meet with God in a different way. You don't get to say that. There are different ways that Christ meets with us, different ways that Christ has set up so that you can meet with him. And that doesn't mean there are different options for you to, to meet with him, for you to pick some and ignore others. Now, recognizing the differences between word, fellowship, and prayer, in recognizing those differences, we should not be surprised to find that there's another way to meet with Christ that is kind of unlike any of the other ways of meeting with him. There's a way of having fellowship with the living word of God that cannot be replaced or exchanged with any other means or method. Communion is fellowship. That's what the word means in every language you can write. It is a meeting with Christ. And communion, the Lord's table, the Lord's supper, the breaking of bread, the Eucharist, whatever you'd like to call it, is a way that we meet Jesus really and truly. It is a way that we receive Jesus, really and truly. Now, hopefully you've noticed, you Bible scholars, you, that the, there's a correlation between these different meeting places that I just mentioned, the word, fellowship, prayer, communion. These are straight out of Acts 2.42. Okay, these are the things that the church, from its earliest stages, from the week of Pentecost, continued in faithfully. And as they did, the Lord added to his church those who were being saved. It says, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. Now, I've taught on this passage, Acts 2.42, a few times. I taught it first probably more than 10 years ago, and again six or seven-ish years ago, and again almost three years ago. And I can go back and look in my notes from the first time, and, and I look at the question next to breaking of bread, why don't we do this every week? So this has been bouncing around in, in my head for quite a while, and now we're, we're making the switch. Um, we're going to have communion next week too, and the week after that, and the week after that, every single Sunday. And, and, and the change, in my heart at least, it's not only about frequency, it's not that I just want more of this ritual, it's that I want more of Jesus, and I see my role as that of giving him to you through whatever means possible. And it's not that I just want more of juice and crackers. I want more of Jesus. I want, you to, I want to give you Jesus. I want to meet with Christ, and I want us collectively to acknowledge and agree on the reason that we're here in the first place. It's for him. It's to meet God. And I believe with all my heart that communion is a unique way for us to have communion with God. And I want, more than anything, as your pastor, to give you the opportunity to have fellowship with Jesus. Communion is fellowship. That's what the word means in English, in Greek, probably in the Romans. It is a meeting of Christ and his people around a meal. Now, Christ has met with you. We just listed a few different ways that Christ meets with us. You wouldn't be here if some of that wasn't familiar. He's met you. He's saved you. He's brought you into his family. He already has met you. But consider this, please. One meeting isn't enough when you're talking about someone that you're in love with, is it? Ah, yes, we love each other very much. We shared a firm handshake once, several years ago. <laughs> that is not the way meeting with a loved one works. Meeting with them once a month probably isn't the way it works either. When you realize that this thing we do called communion is you meeting with the lover of your soul, it really defeats the most common objection to a more frequent 
communion. And I'm sure you know what that objection is, is that if we do this too often, it won't be as special. I would like to offer three reasons why this is not right thinking. Uh, one, I think for most of us, it's not special now. And that's the fact of the matter. To say doing this more would like it, make it less special is to assume that it's, it's special now. Let me ask you, is it? Is this something you prepare yourself for? Is it something you look forward to? Are these occasions things you hold in your memory in times of prayer? Can you recall Christ meeting you in communion? It seems to me like this is something that is more or less taken for granted and serves little more purpose than to mark the day that we have potluck. Okay? So go ahead and examine yourselves and see if it fits. Two, this is a renewal of a covenant. She says, this is the covenant in my book. Right? Take it as often as you do it in remembrance of me. It's a covenant where you are being made one with Christ. This is the covenant in my book. Now, married couples are aware of the marriage covenant, which is also renewed periodically in becoming one flesh. Many churches offer communion quarterly, once every three months. I suggest that those who say more frequent communion make such connection less special apply this same schedule to their other covenants. I'm trying to keep this PG, but you can ask someone else if you don't understand what I'm saying. Once again, a firm handshake once a year is not the connection you seek with those you love. Three, the idea that weekly communion would become rote or routine, just a routine, is predicated on the assumption that rote and routine are, in themselves, bad. They are not. Every week we preach Christ in Scripture. That's routine. Every day you should spend time with your Lord. That's routine. You should memorize scripture. There is no way to memorize scripture other than saying the same words over and over again until they stick. Now, we are opposed, as Christ taught us, we are opposed to vain repetitions. This does not mean all repetition is therefore vain. Routine is not a bad word. Our addiction to novelty and new experiences are misplaced. And the idea that doing the same thing more than once is somehow beneath us is the result of wrong thinking. I would like to think the one who is the same yesterday, today, and forever would agree with me. Now, you've heard me share this thought from uh, G.K. Chesterton, one of my favorites, usually around this time of year. I usually throw this at you in January. Uh, about his year again. And Chesterton says this. He says, because children have a bounding vitality, because they are in spirit, Fierce and free, therefore, they want things repeated and unchanged. They always say, do it again, and the grown-up person does it again until he is nearly dead. <laughs> For grown-up people are not strong enough to exult in monotony. But perhaps God is strong enough to exult in monotony. It is possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun. And every evening, do it again to the moon. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately and has never got tired of making it. Yeah. By saying doing this weekly will make it less important, you may be confessing that you don't think the preaching of Christ in the Word is very important, or else we should really do it less. If any other spiritual discipline becomes rote, we never, ever advise people, do it less. When someone says, and... Someone will. 
The reading the Bible has become for me just routine. I'm not getting anything out of it. It doesn't mean I have never advised this person to only read their Bible once a month and see if that makes system. I do the opposite. Say, so sit down, take a couple hours and read Psalm 119. It's the longest one. It will change your heart. Read more and then accompany that reading with prayers and fasting and worship. Fellowship with Christ is what we are after. We want more of it, not less. Even more than this, union with Christ, which Paul talks about all over the place. Christ in me, I'm in him, we are one, all of that. that that's what we're after, to be in Christ, to have our lives hidden with Christ, in God, to have Christ in us, the hope of glory. To realize these truths, that's what we want. Union with Christ is the goal. Now, a few months ago, when we were going through 1 Corinthians, which we'll be getting back to pretty soon, in chapter 10, we read about how Paul talked to the church about fellowship, and he, he mentioned that fellowship, the, the fellowship that they have with Christ was gained through the eating of what he calls spiritual food. He calls manna, the man in the wilderness that the Israelites ate, right? Spiritual food. And the water that came from the rock as spiritual drink. He even says that the rock that followed them was Christ. And these terms might be helpful to us in looking at communion. When Paul says that manna was spiritual food, he did not mean that it was imaginary food. Right? Like we believe that it was really good touch, you could taste it, you could put in it rot. It was food. When he talks about spiritual drink, he doesn't mean that the drink was less than real. Manna and water in the wilderness were very, very real. Manna and water in the wilderness were were things that they could see and touch and taste. We make a mistake when we think that spiritual means pretend. And we can make a mistake, too, when we say that spiritual simply means non-physical. This is leftover Gnostic thinking. That physical and spiritual are separated, neither the two shall meet. Plenty of heresies have been born out of this line of thinking. It's anti-incarnational. The man in the wilderness was real, and it was physical, touchable, tasteable. But it was more than all of those things. And this is how Paul can call it spiritual. It wasn't immaterial, but it was not merely material. It was more than material. Spiritual doesn't even mean non-physical. It means more than merely physical. Or if you'd rather, metaphysical. The spiritual food that Israel ate, it was food. Their spiritual food was not the scripture. It was food. They didn't eat it by thinking about holy things or by praying a lot. They ate it by putting it in their mouth and then chewing. And their spiritual food and spiritual drink could not have been replaced with scripturalization and law keeping. In order to be fed, they had to eat. Paul still calls that spiritual food. The reason Paul brings all of this up in chapter 10 is because he's telling them that what they do with their bodies, and more specifically what, what they eat or we eat, can be a spiritual act as much as a physical act. And the reason he brings this up is that he doesn't want the Christians in Corinth to actively participate in pagan rituals because he does not want Christians to have fellowship or communion with demons. It is assumed that the people in Corinth who were participating in these demonic festivities were saying, it's no big deal. These idols aren't even real. It's just bread. It's just meat. It's just wine. Spiritually, I'm fine. Because what I do with my body and what I do with my spirit, those are two different things. All this is just physical. Jesus said the flesh profits nothing after all, right? That's their argument. And Paul, in order to show them that taking part in these things could endanger their souls, talks about the reality of spiritual food. And then in verse 16, which we read at the beginning, 
He holds up the Christian communion service as an example of spiritual food and spiritual drink that unites you to a deity. And what you can't help but see when you read 1 Corinthians 10 is that it was assumed by the church that communion was fellowship with Christ. That's the common ground that they take that Paul uses to form his argument about this controversial issue of pagan rituals and stuff like that. Paul wasn't teaching them something they didn't know when he said, this is fellowship with the body and blood of Christ. By asking it as a rhetorical question, he, he, he's not waiting for the answer. He's saying, isn't it fellowship with Christ? And he would expect all of the readers to nod their heads and say, yes, of course it is. We know that. He was using something they agreed upon, that the bread and wine is fellowship with Jesus, to teach them about something they didn't agree on, that their demonic rituals actually held dangerous realities. Those rituals were not nothing. They were fellowship. They were a meeting of persons. Our ritual, our communion, is not nothing. It is fellowship. I'll read you verse 16 again. It says, The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? The word communion there is koinonia, and I only mention that because it's that sort of a Christianese word that we all kind of see thrown around every now and then. Um, one of the Greek words that most of us have a bit of familiarity with, and it is often translated fellowship. Paul uses the word when he talks about fellowship of Christ's sufferings. It says that we, we join in the fellowship of Christ's sufferings, and we know that Paul refers to his own sufferings as suffering with Christ, even suffering as Christ. He calls the scars on his body the marks of Christ. The line for Paul between Christ's sufferings and Paul's sufferings, it's a blurry, perforated line. And I mention this in order to show that the fellowship of Koinonia is more than we have things in common, let's get coffee sometime. That's what we think of a fellowship, right? Let's hang out. Hey, it's Paul. It's fellowship. Neat. A fellowship hall is where you hang out. Fellowship means more than we have something in common, let's hang out. It's fellowship that says we are one. We're one. We're united. This fellowship with God is, again, the whole point. And in John writing, 1 John, he said that the reason for his declaration of the gospel is that, that we that, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you, that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. It's one reason that Paul could write to First Corinthians to the Corinthians. I guess there are the First Corinthians. Can we call them that? He could write to the Corinthians in the first place, because he saw the reality that these people in Corinth had been united, and they were being united to Christ. The very uh, first chapter, First uh, Corinthians one nine. He says, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. You've been called into communion. Same word. We worry about our callings, don't we? We worry, what does God have for me? What, where does he want me? It's one of the reasons people ask for vision around the new year. Where is God taking us? Well, you've been called to this. This is the answer. First Corinthians 1 9. Fellowship of his son. The fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ. It's, it's union with God. What is Christ's fellowship? Christ's union. It is union with his Father. Jesus prays this in John 17. For you, personally. Uh, this is, by the way, in the upper room where he just instituted the Last Supper, so you don't have to lose the context. 
in John 17, 22, says, And the glory which you gave me I have given them, that they may be one, just as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that we may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. That's the fellowship. And of course, this is the same word translated communion in 1 Corinthians 10, 16. You have been called into the communion of Jesus Christ. You have been called to the table of the Lord where he is both host and meal and where you are united, not just with bread and wine physically, but with Jesus Christ. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? I do like that word communion. It's a good translation. We see the word union right there in the word itself, right? To commune is to be one with. Oh, one with. And though we would hardly think of using this word in this way, the correct verb, verb form of communion is not commune, it's communicate. To communicate is to share a word from one person to another. Isn't that cool? Isn't that beautiful? Christ, the living word, the incarnate word of God is shared with us, is communicated to us where we have fellowship with them and are brought into the unity that Jesus asked for. In some way, we communicate with God, or rather, he communicates with us when we have communion. In some way, we have fellowship with the body and blood of Jesus when we take and eat this in a worthy manner. And the fellowship that we have, the fellowship of Christ, is nothing less than the union with God that Christ gives us. Do you see why I'm thinking maybe this is somewhat important? Now, let's be honest with ourselves. Are you beginning to wonder if you've maybe neglected some of the importance of this fellowship with Jesus? Are you considering now, perhaps, maybe for the first time, that there has been a way for you to meet with Christ that you have ignored, belittled, or avoided? I mean, I picture a person saying, I'm weak, I'm feeling thirsty, I just don't have... I don't think I'm where I need to be spiritually. Christ holds out bread to strengthen man's heart and wine to make his heart glad. And we say, oh yeah, yeah, that was, that was last week. That was gone that week. I had a thing to do. Or why can't we have tastier crackers? You know, <laughs> have you belittled fellowship with Christ when it's the very thing needful for your soul? Now, if you have, you're not alone. I mean, it's this process of examining myself that's led us here for, to me preaching this sermon. You know, I'm with you there. And it, it seems very, very clear that in modern evangelical circles, the kind of church that you happen to go to, communion is thought of very little, and in my opinion, thought very little of. Now, next week, I'm going to take you through a little bit of church history to try to show you why this is and how it happened, but we don't need a lot of history books to tell us that this just isn't that important to most people. Maybe you're the exception, but it seems true that for most people, it's just not that big of a deal. One of the scholars from Dallas Theological Seminary, Lewis Ferry Schaefer, he wrote an eight-volume systematic theology text. Okay, when I write, I measure with what I write with, like, word count, right? This guy measures what he writes with a little stick, you know? It's just, like, <laughs> big books, okay? You know how much there is in the systematic theology? That's, that is supposed to cover every area of doctrine that exists, okay? It's exhausted. You know how much is on the Lord's Supper? Half a page, one half of one page. I went to calvarychapel.com, went to what we believe section, 
There are two paragraphs on pre-tribulational rapture and the premillennial second coming of Christ and nothing on communion. And go over to Calvary Chapel Association website in the Statement of Faith. It has one line on this topic. We believe that the Lord Jesus Christ instituted two ordinances for the church, full immersion, water baptism of believers, and the Lord's Supper. That's it. So as far as I can tell, all you have to believe is that the Lord's Supper exists. That it exists. Someone had the wherewithal to clarify that we don't baptize by sprinkling, but offers no information about the Lord's Supper whatsoever. Now, I can't help but draw the conclusion, then, that it's just not important to two people. It seems that the theological convictions held by the majority of evangelical Christians in the West is that it just doesn't matter that much. Apathy defines our theological conviction on this topic. I've been going to church for about 33 years. I've missed a few Sundays, and not much more than a few Sundays, okay? I've noticed, maybe you've noticed as well, that people have opinions about things. <laughs> Some people have strong opinions about things. That's not a bad thing. We all do. We all have. We all think our thoughts. Okay? But some some people have strong opinions about really important things and and big, heady theological topics. People have strong opinions about doctrines like the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man. Uh, we have people with strong opinions about eschatology and time, that's end times events, what's happening next, and when will Jesus come back. There's strong opinions about spiritual gifts and their uses, church government, women just in general. <laughs> uh, you know, all, all sorts of things. We have strong opinions, church government, we mentioned that. And then there's people who have strongly held opinions, just as strong, about things that aren't doctrinal. And these you might call convictions as well. And can you think of some? What you wear to church. Actually, the strong opinion is usually about what someone else wears to church. Okay? How you sing in church. What key you sing in church. How loud you sing in church. Actually, how loud other people sing in church. How the chairs are set up. I definitely actually had people leave the church over that one. Not kidding. Okay? The thermostat. Believe me... This section of the sermon could have been a lot longer. <laughs> I added this down this morning, okay? There are strong opinions. And for the most part, that's But I have never even met someone in our church or in any other church who has convictions about communion that get anywhere close to any of these. The only kind of opinion I've ever encountered with anyone about communion, well, should we have it on the table and people get it, or should the ushers pass it out? And how come these crackers taste so bad? Those are the two opinions. Somehow, we have arrived at a place, and we're in this together, guys, we have arrived at a place where the sacrament of the body and blood of Jesus has become a lot less interesting to us than just about any other doctrine or church practice, or for some even the color of the party. How did we get here? Well, come back next week, and we'll talk about that. It's not totally your fault. <laughs> but, but as far as where here is, I hope we can agree that it is a place where we are not taking seriously some very serious things. We are not considering communion in, in the way that it was intended to be considered. Remember that guy who wrote the eight volumes but thought a full page would just be too much to write on communion, Right? Okay, the reason he could think of communion as something so easily skipped over, something so insignificant, is that rather than seeing this as communion, 
as you meeting with Jesus and as fellowship with the living Christ or as a means of being united with the Son of God, Louis Ferry Schaefer says that rather than the elements containing or symbolizing the presence of Christ, they are instead a recognition of his absence. Rather than a symbol and sign of Christ's presence, his nearness, it becomes a reminder of just how alone you are. I wouldn't think that was very important. If this is what you believe, then it, and it is held by many, whether they're aware of it or not, then of course, this isn't going to be very important. Your priorities, not just in this area, but every area of your life, your priorities are a result of your theology. What you value is based on what you believe about value itself. And what you believe about the value of things. It seems to me that Christ and his apostles thought more highly of this than we usually do. And 1 Corinthians chapter 11 tells us just how serious Paul is about communion. He is deadly serious. Look at chapter 11, starting in verse 27. We'll read this passage again. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. Sleep is code for death. We'll take these verses in on their own in an upcoming sermon at the end of the month, but it's not the last time we'll read these. But for now, just notice, this is not pretend. This is not nothing. This doesn't seem to be something we can afford to take as lightly as we maybe are used to. In these next few weeks, we're going to be doing what Paul has commanded us to. We're examining ourselves. We're saying that it is a real option to do this wrong. Corinth was, and they got the names of the Bible. Okay. There's a, we might be doing it wrong. You may have been doing this wrong. It's possible that you encounter this in a way that rather than receiving blessings, you're just making marks up against yourself because you're not taking something seriously that Jesus considers very serious. So we're, we're just, we're obeying the passage, examining ourselves. We are seeking to discern the Lord's body. We're taking it seriously. But to return to our passage in 1 Corinthians 10, Okay, the reason why we take it seriously, like we're told in chapter 11, is not just because Paul says, well, you could get sick, you're wrong, some people get sick. The reason we take this seriously is because this bread we eat and this, this cup we drink is actually, really and truly, a kind of fellowship, communion, and participation with the body of Christ and with the blood of Christ. I don't want to lead you in an appreciation or a ritual or a sign. Say this sign is very important. You need to take it seriously because reverence is important as an end to itself. No, it's not. It's not an end to itself. The ritual is not an end to itself. Taking things seriously is not an end to itself. Christ is the end. I don't want to lead you in an appreciation of a ritual or a sign or even a sacrament that is separate in your mind from Jesus. To compare once more the preaching of the word and communion as these two distinct meeting places where we come to Christ, it is always a terrible risk for the preacher to give his people a reverence or appreciation for sermons or even for the <coughs> scriptures themselves that do not extend to their author, the author of scripture. 
to teach the Bible without communicating Jesus is a real possibility. And I'm aware of the risk to search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life, like the Pharisees. Like, that's, that's what we do. We search the scriptures for in them we think we have life. And Jesus said, whoa, reminder, they're about me. If you go to the scriptures and you're not finding fellowship with Christ, you're doing it wrong. There's a wrong way to do Bible study. It's a real possibility to be like the Pharisees who had a reverence of Scripture and a low view of Christ. Let us have a fear of coming near to holy things and missing the Holy One. In a similar way, I do not want to develop a practice of appreciating communion without also cultivating that deep-seated conviction that Christ is willing to meet with us here. 1 Corinthians 11 tells us, take this seriously. Some of you are sick because you're not taking this seriously. Some of your people have died because, you know, the early church was like the wild west, right? Lie to an apostle, Holy Spirit kills you. Don't take communion seriously, like, Holy Spirit kills you. But, th but these verses, they say, watch out, pay attention, examine yourselves. And the examination of self matters only after the examination of communion has already taken place in chapter 10. Where Paul says, this cup of blessing which we bless, is it not communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? Those are rhetorical questions. The answer is yes. Because communion is a meeting with Christ, then we need to examine ourselves when we take it. Because it is an important, real kind of fellowship that you need to enjoy, because it is so holy, then we need to examine ourselves and ask ourselves, am I ready for this? The broken bread and the cup of blessing are a way of enjoying a relationship with Jesus Christ and being united with him. Because of that, we take this seriously. I want you to meet with Jesus. I want to meet with Jesus. I want to give you Jesus. I do not want to neglect fellowship with Jesus, especially if he had invited us into a kind of fellowship personally, his idea, and we've avoided it. If Jesus says, I'll meet you here at such and such a place, 10 o'clock, Sunday morning, let's say, and we say, well, uh, you know, I can talk on the phone. I just call. Why don't you just call? We do this with the text message. We're neglecting a different kind of meeting. Right? If he says, I want to meet with, meet with you in person, or if he leaves you a voicemail, as Jesus might do, and say, hey, call me back. I need to talk to you. And you think, actually, I think I'll just remember you. That's crazy. He has given us ways of meeting with him, and they are not interchangeable. Neither are any of them lightly put aside. Communion is a way for you to meet with Christ, and you cannot try to make up for it by personal prayer time, serving the poor, listening to podcasts. If you do not meet Christ in this way, you will not meet him in this way another way. If you don't meet with Christ where he said, hey, this is where we're meeting, then you won't have that appointment with him. You'll have another one. You'll go read your Bible and he'll meet with you there. You'll pray and he'll meet with you there. He'll meet with you in the body of Christ. But the meeting that he set up with you saying, hey, take, eat, do this in remembrance of me. This is a fellowship of my body and blood. If you avoid that, or take this in an unworthy way, you won't have that meeting with Christ. And I don't want to miss a single one. I don't want to miss a single opportunity to have fellowship with Christ. I want to give you Jesus, but I also want to leave you hungry. Next week, we're going to have communion. 
with Jesus. Next Sunday, you will be invited to have fellowship with the body and blood of Jesus. Examine yourselves. Prepare yourselves. Next Sunday, and every Sunday afterwards, Jesus is going to offer himself to you because he is more than willing to meet with you. Pray with me, please. Father, you have given us your son, and we receive him by faith. You have spoken in various ways, in various places, but in these last days, you have spoken to us in your Son, and we do not want to neglect this gift. We do not want to neglect this living word. We don't want to neglect any opportunity to meet with you, and we confess our weaknesses and our apathy in the areas we have thought little of this fellowship. And God, we pray that you would give us a hunger and a thirst for your Son. We pray that we, like like Joseph of Arimathea after Good Friday, who prayed the body of Jesus. Order our disordered loves wings. Correct our priorities. Let us desire you more and more until we can say we desire you alone. We pray, be thou my vision. Be thou my vision. Let us want nothing more than Christ until we want nothing other than Christ. Be with your people. We know that you will be faithful to meet us. We pray that you would help us examine ourselves so that we can meet with you in the right way. Bless your church in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Please stand. Praise God from all all creatures here below. You are sent to potluck. If you'd like prayer, come up and get some. If you'd like lunch, go out and get some. <laughs>